0: Thank you, Rachel. Good morning to you all. Hey, uh, this is a body of Christ that values the Word of God more so than more so than a, a human voice. And so that's why we begin with hearing the Word of God first as part of our call to worship. And so I direct your attention this morning to First Samuel chapter two. So first Samuel is a fascinating part story of this lady named Hannah. And Hannah was deeply distressed. She prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. In chapter 1, you can read her story of why she wept and why she was so distraught. She continued praying before the Lord. And Eli, the priest at the time, said, Hannah, Hannah, your lips are only moving. Your voice is not heard. You must be a drunken woman. But Hannah replied, no. I am troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk nor wine nor strong drink. I have been pouring my soul out before the Lord. I speak out of my great anxiety and vexation, she writes in chapter 1. And then, for our call to worship, we read Hannah's prayer, her confession, her song as the Lord has answered her prayer. And this is our call to worship this morning. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord because I rejoice in my salvation. Verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no no more proudly. Let not your arrogance come to your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge and by his actions are weighed. The Lord kills and brings to life, verse 6. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes to inherit a seat of honor. That last line there, a key in our sermon text today, the Lord raises up. He sits us with princes and seats us in honor. Let's pray. God in heaven, we pray that this humble patch service here is one that honors you in spirit and in truth. We want to be a people who who love you sincerely and without any pretense. So today, God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, with the help of your Holy Spirit, may our worship be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, would you please stand with us? We're going to sing our first hymn together. Hymn number three, Holy, Holy, Holy. Yeah, good.
1: Yeah. good morning. The Old Testament scripture reading today is from the book of Psalms, chapter 51, verses 1 through 19, which can be found on page 405 of your Pew Bibles. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in your inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good place, in your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The New Testament reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, which can be found on page 799 of your Pew Bibles. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you for reading, Micah. Um, You have a nice voice and I... I appreciate all you said. Thank you. I, I hope that you can also appreciate those passages of Scripture that were read today. They're not passages that are easy, just read over quickly in public. They, uh, they're kind of the texts you need to kind of sit with. Psalm 51, it's David's confession, where he's been in his life, his plea for mercy. I mean, you've got to you got to own that that passage with a lot of heart. In the same way with Romans chapter 6, such good words from Paul. Our sin is buried with Christ. We're raised to new life. I mean, I want you to own it and believe those words just as much as Paul wrote it. But I want you to join me in a confession today, the one we have on our screen. Um, Not the Lord's Prayer today, not the Apostles' Creed, but a passage from God's Word one of the early confessions that is written from Paul in the book, of, the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. As you sit with those passages, Psalm 51 and Romans 6, let's, uh, let's say this passage together, shall we? Let's confess it together. If we have died with Christ, with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. We collect an offering every Sunday here, and I hope that 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 money is well spent. It goes to so many good programs here in Stuttgart. It goes directly to us. But keep in mind, please, that the best offering is you your body, where you live, where you work, with your family, in your office, the way you represent Jesus Christ in your home, wherever you are spent. Let that be your best offering today. But as we worship through giving, let that also be an expression of, of how much we love our Lord. So, so thank you for giving generously as you're able. Usherings, usherings, would you please come forward? On the back of your bulletin, um, you can see that there is a plan I just want you to make sure you see that plan. There, we have a a plan to go through the Book of Ephesians through the summer, and we're we're kind of um, you know quarter way through it. But I do want to show that there to you, so that if you have a chance to be able to, I don't know, to have a devotion, to have a, if you want to dig in deeper into the Scriptures and study them along with us as we preach, um, it's there written for you, so you can see where we're headed in the next few months. Um, Ryan Bering is a Navy chaplain. He's here with us. You know, Ryan. He's away this weekend. Chris Pack, Air Force chaplain. He's also in the area, but not here today. Kelly Porter's here. He's also going to teach for us in a couple of weeks. So, so thank you for welcoming us. We're imperfect pastors. Uh, we have a lot to learn in life, too. We're works in progress just like you. Um, but um, we want to give you a good challenge this coming summer. Um, that scripture memory challenge, too, also on the back. Look at that. Cut it out. Paste it on your mirror at home. And it's something that, um, that we're even doing as a my wife and I in the, the bathroom. It's right there by the sink, trying to keep that scripture ahead of us all the time. And um, I know the Schutels have challenged us to a duel, but we will beat you to memorize it first. <laughs> Anyways, um, join us in the book of Ephesians today if you can. Um, I want to show you a picture first, though. Here we go. So if you were here a couple of weeks ago on Mother's Day, you might remember this picture. Um, I showed it to you at the end of the sermon. This picture, as you might remember, is of St. Augustine and his mother, Monica. Augustine lived about 350 years after Jesus lived, in the 4th century. He lived in what is modern-day Algeria, northern Africa. And St. Augustine's books and his writings greatly influenced the church as we know it today. But his mother, Monica... A very strong, a very capable woman, a very prayerful woman, in my opinion, I think yours as well too, was the real saint in that family. St. Augustine was not always saintly. And while his mother was a devout Christian, his father was actually quite pagan. And though Augustine was given a Christian education, he actually followed his father's path for most of his life, his father's example, following The course of the world. Another phrase we'll hear again in Ephesians chapter 2. Before St. Augustine was 18 years old, he had already fathered a child out of wedlock and found himself in serious moral compromise. But later in life, after Augustine came to an awakening, after his conversion, Augustine wrote a book. And it reads more like if a journal than a book. I have it right here. Confessions. You're welcome to borrow it if you want. um, Read it if you like to. I'd love to talk with you about it if you are interested. If you are one of those brave men or women who want to move beyond that superficial Christian walk of your life, if you want to think deeply about things matter and make sure you are in a heart state that is right before God, put Confessions by St. Augustine on your summer reading list. I'm not sure how many of you are 16 years old. There might be a few who are close here today. But if you're 16, you will like this book, Confessions, because Augustine writes very candidly about his 16th year of his life. In chapter one, he writes, he says, I became to myself a wasteland. I longed to be satisfied with worldly things. He says, I wasted away. I became corrupt. I was eager to please the eyes of others. And in chapter two, pardon the language, but he writes of steamy lusts, passions which rose from the flaming lust of my flesh, fanned the hot imagination of puberty, lust so obscured and overcast my heart that I wasn't able to distinguish pure affection from unholy desire. Dragging my unstable youth down over the cliffs to impure desires. And plunging myself into a gulf of indecency. Augustine says, he says, I couldn't hear God. I had no appetite for him. My soul was deadened. He says, oh God, your anger came upon me, but I could not hear it. I was deafened by the incessant rattling of the chains of my mortality, the punishment of my soul's pride. I wandered farther from you. You permitted me to do so. I was tossed to and fro, so wasted and poured out of my heart. I ran into a frenzy of sexual promiscuity, I wandered even farther from you, even more empty fields of sorrow. Yet, God, you held your presence. Where was I, O oh God, in that 16th year of my life? The man can write. Do you ever think back? I do sometimes. And I'm embarrassed. I have memories that I wrestle down of my past. And these memories I carry to Jesus because I'm reminded that I cannot carry sin. You know that, right? Only, only Jesus can carry the weight of sin. Augustine looks back on his life through this book of confessions. I look back in my life like you do too. But today's text shows us the apostle Paul also looks back in his life. He looks back for all of us To make sense of who we are and where we've come from. I'm not the kind of guy that's big on sermon titles, but these words really fit today. Who we are in Christ and where we've come from. Who we are in Christ and where we have come from. If you're able, please turn to the book of Ephesians with me, chapter 2. Where, with God's help and the Holy Spirit's help to illumine God's word, we will learn who we are in Christ and where we have come from. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead. And are by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is such a beautiful and powerful passage of the Bible. I wish our full chapel would be here to read it today, but I'm glad you heard it. And I hope that you can keep this simple 10 verses on the ready for whenever you need to read truth again. The first words of Ephesians chapter 2 are very direct, and Paul doesn't waste any time. He says, you were dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Paul's point is simply this, is that sin deadens us. And sin kills us. He speaks of trespasses, and he speaks of sins. Please try to understand that. trespasses... Or when you like you trespass illegally on someone else's property, it's a sin of movement. It's a sin of action. Trespasses are sins that we commit. But sin, the Greek word is hamartia. It means to miss the mark. It means to fall short of something of a standard. And both are true. We have committed sins and we omit sins, and both deaden us. And yes. You may have thought you were walking and talking, that you were alive, feeling and breathing, very athletic, moving with all the energy that you have in life, thinking that you're alive. But your soul, according to God's word, was spiritually dead. Maybe you can think back, like Paul, to a time when you had no appetite for your creator because your soul was dead. You're oblivious to God's desires and concerns, blind to the excellence of who Jesus is, deaf to the Holy Spirit's voice, maybe even attending church, but outwardly only doing it out of duty. If the songs that we sang like, holy, 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 I love you, Lord, Christ the sure and steady anchor, if those songs are just words, there's a good chance you're still spiritually dead. But Paul says, this is where he was. He says that this is where you were, this is where I were. We all have been there. We all have been dead, apart from Christ's help in our life. In my Bible here by Ephesians 2, right next to the word dead, I wrote a little footnote. I wrote 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6. You might look it up if you feel like it sometime because in this book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul also explains to the church why they should help older widows and put them in service. But he says, be careful as you hire older widows because this is the verse, what it says. Because she who is self-indulgent, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Meaning, I think this is the point, the hint, that even after conversion, sin still deadens us. And very easily, I have done it myself. I fall back into dead patterns when I sin, when I transgress, when I'm self-indulgent. In verse two, let's go to the next verse. Paul continues, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins when you're following the course of the world. Following the course of the world. Sometimes pictures speak more than words. Paul's not talking about the good parts of the world, but he talks about the power, the pull of the deadness of the world Like traffic, everybody's going one direction. It's the pull. And Paul says, this is who you are when you're dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of the world. A world's voice that says, win, get more, be comfortable. There is no weakness. Never are the words of contentedness and holiness and meekness. Those aren't acceptable to the world. My best friend right now um, just got out of the army after about 27, 28 years. We both were in high school together. He's a strong Christian, but I can tell that he's really struggling because he's internally fighting the course of the world. He's not retiring at the rank that he should have. He's not getting the award and the promotion, the recognition that he probably deserved. He's kind of kicked to the curb after so many years of service, and he's leaving weak and he's leaving wounded. But if we're not careful, you and I both, we can fall into this trap of the course of the world that says that rank and promotion and recognition are what define us. But that's not true. Following the course of the world. One more thought about this holiday weekend. I know this is a holiday weekend. I'm probably preaching more to myself right now than to you, but well, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with traveling, vacationing, nothing wrong with travel and rest. The course of the world says you should have been traveling. You should have been out there. There's something wrong with you if you're not out enjoying the world on a long four-day weekend. So just encouragement to you. Encouraging it to myself. Take your eyes off the course of the world, and I will try to do the same. Be content with the path that the Lord Jesus has given to you. The path the Lord Jesus has assigned to you. Be that little car up there on the left. See that little car on the left? Be that car. Still in verse 2, Paul helps us make sense of why we are and who we are. Another phrase, he says, You are following the course of the world, and you are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says, Among them we too are formerly lived, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and are by nature children of wrath. God's word is very clear whether you realize it or not or want to believe it, Jesus himself made this very clear that the angelic world and the demonic world is a reality. And I think we make two mistakes, at least I do. The first is, is I think we deny that a spiritual world exists. We kind of suppress it. We don't like to think about it. But to ignore it and not understand it And not to pray with an appreciation of it is a mistake. If you don't have any good growth in your life, if you keep repeating the same, same, same habits like we all do, there's a good chance you're not appreciating the demonic influence that is a reality. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Don't expect him to be obvious. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's disguised. He's dangerous. And so is his minion. Take it from someone who has seen many people who have got out of the occult and have had such a hard time with it, please be sober-minded, respect it. But the second mistake we make, I think, is give it too much power. The text is clear. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is a prince, he's not the king. And the prince is subject to the authority of the king. The living Lord Jesus, all the reason to make sure that you are aligned and that you're walking with the authority of the king who protects you, who guards you, who gives you authority like bright light to cast out demons that are like in the shadows, like cockroaches. That is the power of walking in the truth and light. So to make sense of it, It's good for us, like Paul has done, to look back. Know the conditions that have shaped you. Sin, it deadens you. The course of the world pulls you. The demonic influence lures you. And by nature, by our environment, we deserve God's predictable response to evil. Paul rightly says that we are children of wrath. Not God's bad temper. Not God is like raging on us out of just spite. But God has a predictable response to evil. And I'm thankful he does. He treats evil seriously. At least someone does in this universe. And I'm thankful. We should be thankful that God rightly spends just fair verdict on everything that is evil. But in verse 3 and verse 4, is such a powerful and beautiful conjunction. Underline these two words if you can. There's two words, but God. We cannot and we should never live in the past. Yes, we can understand it. That's important. We need to understand where we come from, but we cannot live in it. And there's only one way out of our past, and Paul leads us, and he leads you, he leads me on this direction that we all need to tend. He says, but God, he says, fix your minds on the sweet character of God. Verse four, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. The first expression right there, God is rich in mercy. God shows love in many different ways, just like you do. But one of the most interesting ways, and one of the most uniquely different ways that he shows love to us, is by this thing, this act called mercy. Mercy is the move that withholds punishment. And it can only be done by offended person. Mercy is the move that withholds a fair consequence. It's somehow motivated, though, by compassion. And this is one of the ways that God loves us. By withholding punishment. By showing us mercy. Earlier today, we read a couple confessions. We read... St. Augustine's confession in the book here that you can read. We also read King David's confession in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. That's the first line of his confession. But David was able to see something that Augustine and you and I were not able to see David was able to see the Ark of the Covenant. And if you know what the Ark of the Covenant contained, it contained the mercy seat. And if you go back and read Exodus chapter 5, you can read the construction of the mercy seat, which I'd like to read to you quickly. Exodus 25 or 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. It's very symbolic for you to understand how to understand mercy. Make a mercy seat of pure gold and create two cherubim hammered of gold. You make them out of gold on two ends of the mercy seat. The cherubim shall spread out their wings overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings with faces toward one another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be The Lord said to Moses, There, I will meet you. Above the mercy seat, between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Covenant, there I will speak to you. What does this mean? What's the point? I think the Ark of the Covenant is very symbolic. But a very symbolic expression of mercy. It's a picture of two angels facing each other. And very costly, made of gold... But if you can imagine two angels facing each other, that is where the Lord's presence is. That's where the Lord's presence meets us. As we extend mercy to one another like cherubs. That's where God's presence is. In verse four, Paul continues to lead us. He tells Morris about who we are in Christ, not where we come from, but who we are. He says, but God is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. There's easy love and there's great love. You know this. Easy love is doing what's easy. When things are right, when things are fine, it's easy to give love. But great love is when God loves us when we're dead. He loved us with a great love when we were dead in our transgressions. And there he made us alive together with Christ. What a remarkable gift that he's given to us. You know, we often think of baptism. And I think the reason why it's good to wait until someone really understands this symbology of baptism is that baptism is an expression of dying to Christ but then also being raised up with him in resurrection, like this passage teaches us. So when someone really genuinely believes and follows the Lord Jesus Christ, they have union with Jesus Christ, they die their sin, and they're raised up with him in new life. That's so what this passage teaches here. Our union in Christ, what a gift, what a gift we have from God's great love. But then this next phrase, this is so good too, by grace you have been saved. So, if mercy is the right hand arm of God's love, where God withholds his punishment, he says, By grace you have been saved. Grace is different than mercy. Grace is giving someone favor when they don't deserve it. Withholding punishment with mercy. Giving favor with grace. So that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of grace. In kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. We're recipients of God's kindness. God has taken you, he's taken me, he's taken David, he's taken St. Augustine out of our deadness. He made us alive together with Christ, the power of the resurrection. And he seated us, the text says, in authority in the heavenly places, seated together with Christ. God has given us a seat and a standing. I hope one day we'll really appreciate that. We have a seat and a standing in the heavenly places in Christ. Over all of the authority of the evil ones. Seated with Jesus. All of the Jesus' inheritance we receive with him. A remarkable, remarkable truth. In Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. Ephesians 2.8.9 is probably one of the most clearly written statements which explains why Christianity is different than every other world religion. It's a verse that many memorize in Bible school and Awanas, and I encourage you, if you haven't memorized Ephesians 2.8.9, mark it down. For by grace... Hear it really well. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Are all world religions the same? No, they're not. Whereas all world religions are about mankind trying to work, trying, trying to become right with God. World religions are expression of us trying to become right with God. Christian sees it differently. From a Christian's perspective, God has done the work for us. Man cannot become right with God. No pilgrimage, no prayer, no virtuous work, confessions can earn our salvation. And where all the other religions try to bring a gift to God, read the text. The Christian sees it so differently. God brings the gift to man. Our text from the day ends with verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When I think back over my personal transgressions in my life and my sin, the things that I'm not really proud of, the reason why it's so embarrassing for me and the reason why it's so sad for me is because. All of that sin in my mind just occupies brain space. And I wish I could have used that brain space and work for opportunity to be of work, workmanship for God. That I could have been used for a better purpose. That I didn't have to dwell on that sin and think about it. I wish I could have used that that brain space for being of good work and service to God. If I could leave you just with a couple practical words of advice, it might be these. It says, I just say this. Paul does the first thing that I think we also do is make sense of your past. Be honest about your dead soul. Admit who you were. Understand how the world and the environment, even the demonic realm, has impacted who you are. Where are your weak spots? Where has the demonic world made you vulnerable? Talk about it with someone you can trust. Another piece of advice is um, you know, confession seems to be the word of the day. Write out your own confession, like Augustine did. Maybe not this thick. <laughs> well, maybe you should. I don't know. Write out your confession, maybe like David did in Psalm 51, one page. Share it with a trusted friend. But in your confession, write out this. Where do you need to see God's mercy? How have you seen his grace? How have you seen his great love and his kindness towards you? Don't wallow in your sin, but mark it down well how God has loved you with great love. And if you have not received God's gift of salvation, what's keeping you? Help me understand why it's hard to receive a free gift. Do you not believe that Jesus is resurrected and alive? That he has the power and the ability to to shape your sin and your life in a world that is so different than you? He's done it for countless others He can do it for you. Respond to him in faith. Like this picture. Repent. Turn around. Go in a different direction. The traffic's not going to get any better. And those of you who already have received this gift of salvation, use the rest of your life to walk in the work that God has prepared for you. Don't waste your energy and your breath and your talents. This is Memorial Day weekend. Yes, it's a weekend of rest and play for many, but you, you know what it means. I too have friends that have lost their lives in combat. And you have as well. But to be transparent with you, the military is not my first war. And I hope it's your not first battles either. There is a different enlistment that you need to be a part of. And I know you already are. It's this enlistment into the Lord's service which is the bigger battle. This past week, we lost one of our generals. I hope you know this man. He died eight days ago. No, he wasn't in military service, but he was in enlisted in the Lord's service as one of the most, I don't know, winsome preachers that I've ever met, Dr. Tim Keller. He's one of my heroes, not just because of his preaching style, which is just awesome, but because he's a man that didn't follow the course of the world. He didn't stay in comfortable lower Virginia where he had a church. He moved to New York City. He founded Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Tim Keller had the ability to preach and connect with the sophisticated and skeptical culture of New York City. St. Augustine probably would have attended his church. St. Augustine was one of these sophisticated men and skeptics in the fourth century. His conversion happened, though, when he was drawn to a preacher whose words captivate him, a man named Bishop Ambrose. Ambrose. In this book, Confessions, this is what Augustine wrote. He said, together with the the language of this preacher which I admired, the subject matter also to which I was indifferent began to enter my mind as I opened my heart in order to recognize how eloquently he was speaking it, the thought occurred to me that how Truly, he was speaking. First, I began to see that the points which he made were capable of being defended. And it now appeared to me that his faith could be maintained on reasonable grounds. And that's what Tim Keller did for many people. He helped people like me and you and for millions know that our faith is grounded By reasonable belief. So, this Memorial Day, bury the sin that so easily entangles you. Give your sin a funeral. Ever done it? Dig a hole, (laughs) give your sin a funeral. Please talk about it with someone, too, how you might be able to fit to the Lord's service. Your lifetime clock is clicking. There's work to be done, especially here in Stuttgart. So thank you for listening to me. But better yet, let's just really make use good of our time while we have left here in Stuttgart. Let's uh, let's stand together and let's Let's sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, hymn number 139.